Spanish, right? Yes. Okay. Hey, everybody. Hey, welcome hey, back hey, to hey. the Hit Factor. Jason's going to interrupt the intro. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Jason. <laughs> Never mind. You started. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, okay. I guess you're going to discuss something controversial. Um, all right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hit Factor. Today we have Jared Fox, Jason Bradley, and Jeff Cawthon. And we have a couple of topics, I think, lined up. But first, we're going to let Jared give us a quick recap of Area 8 that happened this last weekend. And uh, just give us a quick rundown of how that match was and anything else feels like thrown in. Okay, so I shot uh, Area 8 this weekend in West Virginia. Uh, a little different than normal area matches that I've shot in the past, and it's uh, completely everybody shoots it in a one-day format. Uh, they stuck pretty close to a uh, three-two-one rule, so you know three short courses, two medium courses, and a long course. Uh, I think Matt was the one who said it best. The stages, they it was like the design. It was like they picked a challenge they wanted on that stage, and they designed the stage for that, and there was no extra fluff, which. To me, it made it pretty interesting. Um, it it had extremely strong turnout. Uh, production had just under 100 people in it, with uh, Nils and Mason Lane being the heavy hitters in that division. Uh, both shot exceptionally well. Limited was pretty well fielded as well, a little over 100 people, I think. Uh, same with Open. Uh, several top 16 guys in both divisions, several super squad guys in both divisions. And Carry Optics was... Uh, extremely well fielded. Also, it had a uh, hundred and twenty nine people, I think, registered. Meaning, it was the big, it was the biggest division at the match. Uh, match flow overall was good. They did a good job running it. Uh, we got hammered with some bad weather at the end, but I think the most important thing was the quality of the stages and kind of the way they did it different than other area matches was the most interesting part. So, the bays aren't real deep, so to get harder shooting challenges, uh, they made good use of hard cover. Um, wasn't a ton of no shoots. There were certainly some there, but using hard cover to make shots harder and uh, several low ports, a couple unloaded starts, stuff like that. It was a very good match. It was interesting. How Except many for the, was it? Uh, I think it was originally going to be 13, <clears throat> but they ended up having to throw one because of equipment malfunction on staff day. So I think it was, I think it ended up 12 stages total. All right, so 12 stages and under 250 rounds, right? Yeah, the round count was like 230 or 240. Mm. Well, that sounds like perfect. That sounds good. I would have. I mean, personally, if I was going to pick something, I would have liked to have seen them have, you know, two or three more stages in there just to have a little higher point value. I think the total points in the match uh, was like 1180 or something is what it came out to, or I don't remember now without looking at it. But I would have liked to see a few more, maybe maybe like one more uh, of each size course would have been a good mix, but they were out of bays. That's the space they had. Right. Nice. And it looks like Nils and Mason ran away with production. They absolutely destroyed it. Both of them would have been quite competitive and limited shooting their production guns. Right. 
Looks like it was a close match, though. They finished within four points of each other. That's crazy. Shut up very close, which honestly surprised me a little bit because when I saw the first day or the the first set of scores, like Nels was so far. I think he was in the overalls. He was 15 points behind Coley, so I figured he just shot complete lights out, and it would be hard for. Mason to be, you know, closer than 5% to him. So I, that was surprising. But Mason's obviously very good. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, season of shooting stronghand only may have been beneficial. I think he was good before that, but yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Well. Cool. Well, it sounds like a good match. It, it looked like a pretty difficult match as far as all the partials and everything. It was, it was difficult in the manner of it wasn't difficult necessarily to shoot, but it was certainly it left you plenty of room to hang yourself or to to make your own mistakes. There was nothing that was impossible or or ridiculous to shoot, but it was it was definitely a challenging match. Right. It was good. So a total change of pace coming off area three. Yes. Nice. Okay, so. The question we were going to talk about wasn't really a question. Uh, just kind of something that came to mind when I was talking to another shooter on the range the other day. And it was that basically stop thinking that you're good at this one thing or this one thing is good enough. You just need to work on something else. Like you, you can shoot just fine. You just, you know... You can't move good or something like that. Um, that the train of thought, I think, personally, is just wrong. I guess uh, you know there is. I think there is a point you gotta you gotta pick the lowest hanging fruit. I guess, but I think if you if you work on one thing, you you've got to circle back around and and readdress everything because uh, everything can always improve, right? Yes, everything can always improve. Uh, you know, something you mentioned there that always comes to mind, and I was guilty of it too when I was new, is I thought the shooting part was pretty good, that I was just getting killed on movement. And at the end of the day, the guys that are winning matches are beating you because they're a little bit better at about everything. Whenever you get to a certain level, it's getting a little bit better at about everything. Um, and the other part you talked about there, like coming back to stuff, is you're certainly – when you're when you're picking what to work on, you need to decide where your lowest hanging fruit is. What what stuff do you put effort in that's going to give you the most return on your time? So if a good example would be somebody who's constantly working on their draw. Well, if you can draw the gun a second, but all your transitions are double what they should be, well, where's your low hanging fruit? Getting your draw to point nine or taking your transitions from 30s to 20s on on easy targets. And I think it's important to look at it from the grand scheme of things and not one individual skill. And just uh, reloads are a good example of that. Some of that stuff will certainly help a lot on on specific stages. But generally speaking, if they're at a reasonable level, they're not going to hold you back compared to other things. Yeah. And that's one thing is... uh... The, the reoccurring thing that I see 
if people think they can shoot just fine, they just can't move fast enough. And they think that's a, that's what's holding them back, right? They think uh, that's why they're slow, is because they can't move fast. When reality is like, like they can pull up to a position and hit everything just fine. So in that sense, yes, they can they can shoot just fine, I guess. But when you're trying to do all those things fast, someone else is doing like that that basic skill someone else is doing faster than you and that's why they're faster yeah. than you uh they're yeah. pulling up to a position and popping it in the a zone they're doing that faster than you they're also sending a follow-up shot faster than you are and they're moving the gun to the next target faster than you are so even if you think you can shoot just fine you really can't uh that everything has to come to everything has to be faster not just moving and I was think, I almost think that uh, those things are going to cut more time off than moving faster. Personally, yeah. When you when you really talk about it from the standpoint of moving faster, is most of our movements are such a short distance. Your your speed is actually very unimportant in the movement. It's how soon you start moving and how soon you start shooting when you get to the next spot. Because nobody is getting up to a full sprinting speed in six or eight or ten feet. There, there's very little to gain there from moving faster. It's doing the stuff sooner. It's the guy the guy that is leaving as soon as that last shot breaks and is shooting as he steps into the last position or the next position. Those guys are gaining two or three tenths right there on a, on a part of movement that's probably one second of actual movement. Yeah. So Jason said he's been working on transitions lately, and this kind of goes goes along with this topic per se. So Jason, you want to expand on that? Yeah, I mean, like it's kind of like what you said. Uh, you hear a lot of times from shooters. I think we've probably all been guilty of it ourselves. You 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 think. Um, oh, I can do this really good, or I can do all these other things really good. It's my footwork that is what's holding me back from being Grandmaster. And I'm just using that as an example. Um, and, and normally, it's like you said, though, it's not. It's, um, it's not your footwork. Uh, and, and no, it may be your footwork, actually, because I'm working with someone right now that um, it, it is their footwork. It is 100% their stance. Um, not Let me rephrase that. That is 100% a problem. Um there's other things that I was shooting with them and I was watching and I saw, but like, I like, okay, this person, I would like to see the stance uh, that they're shooting from be a little bit more solid because the gun's rocking them back. Um, so like I seen some other things, but I was like, let's just work on the stance right now. And, um, but what I was saying is, it's like, I've used this analogy in my head. I've never said this out loud. So this may sound okay. Or it may sound pretty dumb. <laughs> Probably gonna sound dumb. I don't know. But Think of it as like you just picked up a, 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 a just a blob of clay, and you're just trying to make it into a rail, well-rounded sphere. You're just going to take some lumps out, and you got this big old lump over here. So you got to you got to you know whittle it down to get it get it down so it's not protruding so far. And then you just work on another spot, and then you okay now it's a pretty good rounded shape. There's a lot of cracks in the clay, and you're going to smooth out these areas. Well, you know, once you get one a little bit smooth, you're going to start walking. You're going to start rolling over the next one and smoothing it out. And you're just going to continually go around and, and smooth out every aspect. Um, but if you just sit there in one spot and get it mirror, you know, smooth or 
smooth as glass, but there's all these other areas on the opposite side that are, you know, bad. This thing's not well rounded. So um, get everything, um, work on a low hair, uh, low area of hanging fruit, then move on to the next area, then move on to the next area. What I've been trying to do is I'm coming back around to some of these areas that I thought were okay, and I'm at least addressing them or looking at them and saying, let's let's readdress, let's relook at this, reanalyze uh, it and see if it can be improved on. And transitions is one of them. Um, so I'll just give you a quick example. So doing the Blake drill, everybody should know what that is. Um, I've been wondering. I, I kind of I knew what my times were on the transitions, and they were about point two four. And you know, I, I kind of accepted that that was okay because I had heard, yeah, you want them to be you want them to be around point two. And and the but the goal time of the whole drill is a two second sub two second drill. And I was able to meet the sub two second drill because. My draw is a .85, and my splits are one sixes and one to one eight, and so that was getting me sub two seconds. So I had kind of accepted that my transitions were okay. Now, my transitions actually are okay in my mind for match pace, for a real match uh, speed, uh, because I was driving. I was able to do this at uh, .24 transitions and get, I mean, just about ninety eight percent alphas. So. For a match, that's okay, but the purpose of the drill is to push the times down on the transitions and to get those down to around two. And so I was talking to Jared about it, talking to you about it, and I was like, "Y'all were like, well, I can do it." And I'm thinking like, "But I'm the fast. I'm supposed to be really fast, so why can't I do it?" I had to realize that maybe I need to go back and look at this and, and kind of go, maybe I need to push the speed a little bit, and that may take a little bit more. Um, are a little bit less disciplined on letting the dot settle or watching the dot lift completely before I shift my eyes or start even starting the lift. You just kind of have to pull the trigger, call the shot, and start moving your eyes. And um, so that's what I've been working on, really trying to increase in practice the speed of my transition. So I've kind of come back around to that, uh, an area that I thought was pretty good and that I was not something that needed to be worked on, and I'm starting to look at it and maybe think, I. Uh, could work on it some more. Hmm. Yeah, I always feel like I shoot better, like I transition better at matches, or even shooting live fire, than I do in dry fire. And I don't know if it's just because my eyes get distracted. Uh, like if I'm if I'm working the trigger in dry fire, if my eyes get distracted while I'm doing that, I don't know what it is, but my transitions always seem faster. Like the gun just goes right when I'm looking uh, in live fire or at a match, rather than than it does in dry fire. Well, Ever experience think, anything like that? I think a little bit of that is that you're whenever you're talking in a match, you're shooting at a match pace, so you're probably not shooting as aggressively as you would when you're you know trying to drill down times in practice. And the other side of that is whenever you're talking dry fire, the gun's not actually going off. So to, to your perception, it looks like the sights are just setting there forever. Mm -hmm. It's probably not actually slower. It just feels like it is. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it just feels like everything's incredibly, incredibly fast in, uh, in live fire, which is good, I guess. 
I've always kind of thought, and I've said it this to other people, that I think the bang of the gun going on. This is just this is just on top of what Jared just said, but the bang of that gun going off does make it seem like everything is happening faster. It breaks up, um, it breaks it up, and it makes it just seem faster. If you were to watch someone shoot and you mm-hmm. turned off the sound and just watched them shoot, you, it's it, it might seem like it made it a little slow slower, might slow it down a little bit. I mean, you still get the gun flipping and everything, but like. Um, what the biggest kind of one of the biggest realizations for me was when I uh, my first Ben Stager class was uh, Ben ran a uh, the stage completely dry. I don't even think he pulled the trigger. I think he just got sight pictures. And when he did that, I remember thinking to myself, "Holy crap, he's really aiming at that target." No, no, he's actually he's actually aiming. Like his gun is actually stopped and he's waiting for it to settle, and like waits waiting for it to be acceptable before he moves on. Whereas yeah. When you've got the bang of everything going on, at, you know, at an estimate of, you know, what, 0.3 or 0.25, for, you know, including some of the transitions and split, if you were to average those apart, um, it just makes everything seem faster. Right. It's kind of like if you watch a, a video of an open shooter with no sound because the gun, like, doesn't even move. Yeah. And just, like, walking around pointing the gun at targets and it's, like, kind of slow. And then you turn the sound on and they're, like, ripping crazy splits. Yeah. Yeah. And how, it looks how a lot much, less cool, right? Yeah. How much of that, too, is probably because of the extra sense there of the sound. Is it you can hear a fast transition or a fast split much easier than you can see it. Like, you can hear the difference in a 25 split and a 20 split. But if you just watch it with no sound, mm. it, it doesn't look any different to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because one person's just uh, they're they're waiting till the gun settles on the A zone. The other one's shooting as soon as the gun gets on the A zone. Something like that would be the difference. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. What else you got? Y'all are gonna make me edit out these. These big blank spots. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're doing it. Hey, since, since we're already there and we may have to edit this out, you know, a good thing to talk about, or another thing was, is Charlie Perez kind of had videos on that, like where he actually ran a stage he set up. And, um, you know, he ran it with no gun, and he ran it with a gun, just getting sight pictures. And I don't remember exactly the process, but then he ran it, um, like pulling the trigger, and then he ran it live, and he was trying to get his times all together. I guess that's a little bit different, but um, yeah. I thought that was pretty valuable because um, that's the other thing I think people have a problem with is um, I was telling someone this weekend, I said, you know, you get on this clock that you um, that you're behind, or this clock that you put, you get yourself on this timetable, and when it's not realistic, you all of a sudden start feeling behind. Uh, because you're not realistic in what you're doing. And um, so, like, when people do a lot of dry fire or, or uh, walkthroughs, I know I did this when I was um, starting out, and, you know, up until probably a year or so ago, if not sooner, um, you would kind of think, well, I'm going over here and go, ba-ba, you know, ba-ba, ba-ba, ba-ba. And then when you get on the clock, you might have missed your grip a little bit, and that first train, that just very first sight picture is not where it needs to be, and it just starts there and kind of compounds as you go on. And then you start feeling behind, so you just know you've got to make up. You just got to make it up, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's bad. That's a bad thing. And, and I really think now for myself, 
when I start shooting, there's no clock. There's no clock pushing me that I'm going behind. If something happens and I got to go back and, and do a makeup, it's just it's just it's just real time, and it happens automatically or hopefully automatically. And I just make it up, and or I just fix the problem and get back on on the plan. And there's no holy crap, I'm now behind and I've got to push harder to finish this stage right, right. which I think is huge for people. I think that's, in fact, I think that's a, a big step in uh, your game is if you can get to that point. Yeah, I think it is because, I mean, you just it's kind of like accepting uh, mics on a stage, right? Like it sucks, but yeah. you just have to be like, it is what it is, let's go to the next stage. But you have to do that mid-run. You have to be, you know... Yeah. Oh, well, that makeup shop, uh, it is what it is. So let's just keep doing this thing like we've been doing it. Yeah, yeah it's hard to get there, though. Freaking hard. It is. And, and about the mic on the stage, you know, um, I've been doing pretty good about not shooting very many penalties in matches. But at Area 3, I had a mic. And I just walked up to it, looked, said, that's one hole. I don't see one anywhere else. Okay. Um, and, you know, I had to, I had to fight the feeling of, did this just cost me the match or did this cost, you know, how bad did this hurt me? And I kind of thought about it for a second. Then I had to move on to the, and I, the next stage. It, I never thought about it again for the rest of the match. Right. So you're right. You have to, that's a good analogy. You just have to get to that point to where you just accept it and you move on. Mm. Mm. Words of wisdom. Boomer. <laughs> Life experience. Life experience. Yeah. Brought to you for free. And now, deep thoughts. <laughs> All right. Well, that's 22 minutes. We're going to pinch it off right there. Short, just, just pinch this shorty off. Sounds like a plan. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, go over to the Facebook page. Give us some feedback or questions or go rate us on fans only. <laughs> Apple Podcast or something. Uh, reviews help, even if they're bad, I guess. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Follow us on Instagram. Yeah. All the stuff. And uh, we'll see y'all next time. Well, we won't see you. Y'all will hear us next time. <laughs> oh, stop recording, damn it. <laughs>